Let's, uh, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're getting close. <clears throat> 11 and 12 sort of hang together, and so that's, that, that's the, his conclusion. And so 10 gets us to the precipice. <clears throat> so let's begin with reading this. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. Wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. There is an evil I have seen under the sun like an air which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places while rich men sit in humble places. I've seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If the serpent bites before being charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him what will come after him? The toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to get how to go to a city. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through indolence the rafters sag and through slackness the house leaks. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry and money is the answer to everything. Furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king, and in your sleeping rooms, do not cur curse a rich man, for a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known. This is the word of the Lord. So it feels again like, like Proverbs, right? Just a series of Proverbs in this section, and I think this is one last burst of practical wisdom that he's given to us before he gets to his conclusions. And um, <clears throat> so we start off with this, this, I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of humorous or dryly humorous phrases in, in this passage. I mean, um, wonderful, memorable sayings here and eternally true. Right, so the, the first verse, dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink, so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. What do you take from that? How would you explain that proverb to 
my six-year-old daughter. I'm making you talk off the bat so that you loosen up and we interact. There's no camera on today. The internet's down. You don't have to be afraid of the whole world watching you or all seven people who use that live stream. The dead flies is the foolishness. Okay. Right. Right. We got that parallelism between the two halves of the statement. There's a key word in this that explains the meaning of it. Slightest, you said. A little foolishness. Right? You have, you have a vat of perfume and it's just two tiny little flies that can stink up the whole concoction. Right? It takes far less to, to destroy or ruin or break something down than it does to create something. Right? It's just, in a moment, one one foolish act, one uncontrolled word, right? And and you can bring um, you can bring your pastorate to an end, <laughs> right? Unless there's grace shown to you from the congregation, which all pastors need at times, right? And so, but but this applies to everything. This applies. I mean, I I think of. Um, just rivalries between people, between siblings. It just doesn't take, a mu- take much to ruin the whole. Right? So, um, so that's where he starts. That's a good, that should make us all pause and think. Think of Esau. Right? What did he do? Why would I bring up Esau when it comes to this proverb? Or some stew. He was hungry. Made a rash decision, right? And sort of uh, a rash decision to give up something incredibly important for his future and uh, all for some stew. I mean, we've all been really, really hungry, but we've never been that hungry, I hope. You forsake your future for one pot. Right. <clears throat> I think in the new heavens and the new earth, the, the flies will actually add good scent to the perfume, right? If there are flies. I mean, 
flies may be the product of the fall. I don't know. No, they're a creation of God. They're beautiful. Right. Um, but they do, uh, they, uh, do have an effect here based upon our fallen world. And so that's where he starts. Doesn't take much. Uh, that we should, I mean, Moses the same way. Think of Moses. Think of Moses getting angry at the people. Right? Striking the rock twice instead of what God told him to do. Boom. He doesn't go into the promised land. Right? That's it. No, no redo for Moses there. And so that little act of foolishness was weightier than, than uh, the wisdom and honor he had shown. Second verse, the wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Um, <clears throat> don't, don't read modern politics into this, conservative and liberal, right? <laughs> That's how we all hear it. Um, although, you know, we could vamp on that for a while. Um, rather, right... I would take right as a good direction, left as a bad direction, right? Just the distinguishing between, I mean, it's the, it's the, um, the right hand of Jesus and the left hand of Jesus, right? It's the, uh, the sheep and the goats. And so I think what he's saying here is that wisdom directs a man's heart toward what's good and the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. But what directs the man? No. His heart. Right? I mean, yes. But the verse, man. <laughs> You're going cosmic. Um, uh, so it's the heart that directs the man. Wisdom, wisdom directs the heart, right? But lack of wisdom also directs the heart, right? The heart, being, the heart being desires. Desires are what enacts our will and what makes us do what we do, right? And so, um, and so wisdom, we need to collect wisdom so that our hearts are directed toward what is good, is what he's saying here. But conversely, if you collect foolishness, if you... You know, if that's what you intake, right? And who doesn't intake foolishness? If you have a Facebook account, you're intaking foolishness, right? Um, especially Twitter. If you have a Twitter account, you're taking in foolishness. Um, I just like to bash on Twitter now that they've gotten aggressive with President Trump. Anyway, um, pull it back, pull it back. Let's see. Let's see, where was I going? with that. Um, foolishness, right? Foolishness will direct you toward what's bad, okay? Um, obvious truth. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. Fools demonstrate their foolishness by their behavior, right? Just watch a fool and, or listen more importantly, listen to somebody and you will know pretty quickly whether or not they're a fool or not. 
Right? He gets down to that later and the foolish and the, and the, the words of the mouth later. But all you have to do is observe how a fool walks along the road and uh, probably walks along the wrong road to the wrong destination. All right? And um, he will demonstrate it to everyone. If a, if a verse 4, if the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. Uh, there's a lot here in this. Our posture toward those who have authority is, and this is how um, uh, Kidner, Derek Kidner in his commentary talks about this. He says, our, our posture toward authority is the huff. Right? And I thought that was, that was good. Sort of, you know, that's, that's our posture toward authority. And, um, and then he, he uh, Kidner goes and points out 1 Peter 2.18, right? Where even, even the obnoxious authority is called to be submitted to, right? And, and here in this verse, there's um, wisdom for somebody who's in a position where the temper of the ruler rises against you. It's not like, don't get in a huff, don't quickly resign, don't flee, stand your ground. And that standing of your ground, if done respectfully, right, and you can stand your ground respectfully, um, that can be done. If you can do that well, you probably will eventually win that or subdue the temper of the ruler, right? Um, I think we could all, I would hope, give examples of that, but it's far often our MO to just huff, right? Just to complain, just to quickly make a decision in the pride of the moment, right when, right when the temper of your boss arises, say, I quit, Right? Well, that's losing your composure. Yeah. It's to have some presence of mind for a while. Exactly. Let's not call it a revolution. Um, let's not call it rebellion or revolution. Let's call it reformation, the Protestant reformation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, 
No, that's, that's helpful. And, and look, it, this, this encourages retaining your own position, right? That the, the, the ruler is, can, is wrong in this situation. His temper is going crazy. He's going to make a rash decision. You're coming at him to correct him, but be composed about it, right? And I, I would take the further principle of this to be use the means that you have, according to the law, to confront the, the misbehavior of the king, of the ruler, of the president, of the congressman, whatever it may be. Um, there, we have recourse to things where we don't just have to huff and, um, <clears throat> and go, uh, go crazy, okay? So this, this is good to remember that you can hold your position but, um, and pray along uh, while you're holding a position that it allays the offense of it to the raging emperor. There's an evil I've seen under the sun, there's that phrase again, like an heir which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places while rich men sit in humble places. I've seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. All right, so what do we take from this? I think what he's saying in verse 5 is if you are in power, don't make, this, don't make these mistakes. And then, and then folly is set in many exalted places. Well, Washington, D.C. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. I mean, the, the, the last... Three decades, not the last three weeks or last three days, last three decades, maybe longer. Um, let's go back to before Woodrow Wilson. Okay. <laughs> I mean, um, but, but we see this, right? We know this. And indeed, if we were elected to office, folly would be... Ex- in exalted places as well. Our own folly would go with us into those positions and our own sins and our own um, uh, personality quirks, right? But folly is set in many exalted places while then he says rich men sit in humble places and he's lamenting this, right? And why does he say rich men? Right? Don't we want to, don't we, don't we have a negative view of rich men? Why is he saying that? I mean, he's essentially saying that rich men should not be in humble places. They should be in the exalted places, and the fools should be in the humble places. So what do we make of that? <laughs> I'll say it. Rich men usually have abilities. Right? And they've made their wealth through their ability and their wisdom and their, their not always, right? Not always. Sometimes the rich uh, become rich through oppression. But sometimes the rich become rich because they're men of ability, right? They know how to figure out how to do things and accomplish things and create things. And, and those are the sort of people that we want governing us, right? The, not just politicians who it's all about ego we want men of ability 
men and women of ability, right, to, um, to be in the exalted places. So very seldom uh, happens. But, and again, this is all throughout the Ecclesiastes. One of the things you have to take away is that what, what Solomon is trying to teach us, what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us, is that um, he's trying to shake our faith in, in, in permanence, in the permanence of our affairs, right? Thinking that, you know, this is all there is and this is the permanent. And, and he's like, no, man, everything gets whacked out of order and this is life under the sun and things are terrible and, and order is only going to come by fearing God. But um, we're going to continue seeing slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. Right? Things just getting out of order. Not the proper order of things. <clears throat> and we don't have to get all, you know, um, we don't have to do a deep dive in like, critical theory and CRT, you know, race theory, and somehow exalt the slave and denounce the prince. That's not the way he's conceiving of the world. He's saying that the slave who arrives on a horse, that is inappropriate to his position, to his station in life. Whereas the prince who walks along the land, that is inappropriate to his station in life, right? And he he should be honored and not have to walk, but to ride his war horse. And so um, let's, not, uh, let's not be ashamed of the fact that God puts order and um, God cares about order. Uh, that's what critical race theory, that's what... Um, uh, seems like every modern theory is trying to undermine is God's order, right? I mean, transgenderism is a throwing off of God's order and saying that, no, it should be this way and not that way. I mean, order, um, egalitarianism is, is disordered according to Scripture um, because God places his authority and delegates it to various authorities on this earth. And so, um, verses like this stand out to me in the context of modern academia, which is fighting against God's order. Yeah. <clears throat> I play football. Why are you asking me about China? <laughs> or basketball, more likely. Why are you asking me about China? Yeah, I mean, did you know Justin Bieber is, is, uh, is going to seminary? <laughs> uh, oh, well, okay, good. Okay, I don't want to spread false rumors about Justin Bieber. Um, hard to keep up with him these days.
Philanthropist, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah, just undermining God's. Yep. Scripture, God's authority. Yep, absolutely. Well, 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 are uh, sort of a um, dive into daily activities and getting, this is like realism. I love these verses, but they're, they're tragic, right? Here's a man who's trying to, um, who's trying to harvest things that would lead to his comfort and his life, and they kill him, right? So he who digs a pit, and maybe he's digging that pit for water, right, Falls, fall, may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall, right? Just opening up a wall, and there's a serpent on the other side of it. Um, so that which he's doing for life ends up being um, leading to his death. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits logs may be endangered by them. If you've ever split logs, you know that, right? <laughs> Sometimes they take a weird bounce, and your shins um, hurt. Your toe gets whacked, right? Um, if the axe is dull and he does not sharpen it, then he must exert more strength. Now, that should be your corporate motto, Miller. Right there, just change it to scissors. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. So, one other, one other thought out of this. Um, so, th he's trying to reap life and there are things that kill him, but the man should anticipate that there are dangers in work, right? I, you, you, you all know people who, I mean, like at a deacon work day, there are certain people you don't want doing certain things because they just go at it like a bull in a china shop, and they're going to break whatever they're working on, right? They don't have an intuition about how things work, Right? There are some people that just aren't in, they don't have that sort of mindset, engineer's mindset. They like words, not objects and numbers and things like that. And so, um, I'm not calling anybody out. We need, we need you here at church work days. We do. We need all of you and just let our deacon chairman assign jobs. Um, no, you know, but, but I mean, but we've all learned this way, right? You go into a project and you think, okay, I can fix this small engine or I can fix this lawnmower and you, you tear it down and you have no idea even how to get it back together, right? We've all done that. And maybe the fourth time you do it, you start learning something about small engines or, um, or take, take distributing weight on a trailer. It's really important how you do that, right? You want the weight to be over the axle. You know, you, you want to think about the weight that's on the tongue. And 
if it's in the rear and it's pulling up, right? But there are people who don't think about weight distribution when they're putting things on a trailer. They're just not anticipating any dangers, anything like that. I think of this, these verses, right? The guy who, who quarries stones, which is a dangerous job, but not thinking about any of the dangers or anticipating anything that could possibly go wrong, like, you know, um, breaking stones off the bottom of a ledge, and there's a ledge above it, and, you know, there may be debris that comes down, and wearing a hard hat, and all those things. So, um, here, this is just like, <laughs> this is just like realism right here. It, it tells us that, um, it tells us that are, there are real dangers and, um, and what, what work we pursue for life can lead to death, but it also tells us be thoughtful, stop and anticipate problems, um, think through what you're doing, um, before you tear the toilet out of the, out of the bathroom, maybe think whether or not you can get one back in there without flooding your whole house, those sorts of things. Um, if the serpent bites before being charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. I mean, how do, how do we practically apply that? Um, I mean, how, yeah, go for it. You take it. Yeah. And it turned out, I went through the history on that, and a whole lot of people got killed mm -hmm. when it was being handed down to us. This is just simply an opinion of my own. And just a lot of people got killed. But what do you think about that? Is it terrible that these people were killed? Well, it's scary. Sure. But on the other hand, everybody loves a great story. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, it's another example of anticipation. Uh, snake charming is dangerous work if you've got a real poisonous snake and not a defanged snake or whatever. Can you do that? Can you defang a poisonous snake? I don't know. They really have to charm them, right? There's still danger. Yeah. <clears throat> well... Well, because what? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, if you think about it, and of course, slavery has a bad, very bad reputation at this time, and it's about to get into it. It's going to be controversial if you think about it. Ha!
Good, good example. I mean, <clears throat> all of this, I mean, all, all of those, those examples, I think, are summed up in that um, the serpent bite, biting before being charmed, right? The, the, there's no profit for the charmer. You have to anticipate difficulties. You have to think through things before you set about um, work on them. And then we turn to words, right? Verse 12 begins with words. Words from the mouth of a wise man are, a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him what will come after him? Right, so... He, that last phrase, no man knows what will happen and who can tell him what will come after him, I think is giving the, what Solomon's getting at there is you just can't tell a fool what's what. You just, you can't convince a fool of anything, right? A fool will believe the most outlandish things um, with great faith and be uncorrectable, incorrigible. And the fool, you know a fool by the fact that he loves to talk. Talk, 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 talk. If you meet someone, however articulate they are, who always has to express himself or herself, you are talking to a fool, right? You're talking to a fool because he won't ever listen and won't ever be taught. Right? You have to shut up to be taught. You have to be quiet to be teachable. The fool is <laughs> never there, right? The fool is just like, let me tell you about this, and let me tell you about this, and I heard this, and I saw this, and da-da-da-da-da, and can you believe this, and that. And, um, again, I'm, I'm sorry to be bashing on social media, but social media is the playground of the fool, right? Because it's constant chatter. And I'm not talking about people putting up posts. I'm putting up people commenting on posts. Constantly under everything, con commenting, 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 and bringing up the same sorts of things and um, pointing to the same sorts of groundless sources uh, that they have. And so think about your mouths, right? How many, how many proverbs deal with words in the mouth? How many you know, the book of James, chapter 3, uh, Ephesians talks about foolish jesting and words. I mean, um, out of the mouth comes what's in the heart, right? Jesus said there's words indicate something about people, right? Words. And so um, we would all do well to fast from words at times, you know? Don't express yourself. Just let somebody express themselves and, and just take it. And don't respond. 
or, or um, I think you get what I'm saying. Fools, fools love to talk, and they love to talk. They don't begin with God. They just love to talk about things that are godless, and they don't, you know, very earthy, worldly sort of chatter. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no way God's word always goes out and accomplishes its purposes. There's no, um, we, can, we can share that, but, but even, even the devil used the word of God in foolish ways. You know, so it can, um, we can become fools by the way we handle the word of God improperly as well. <clears throat> uh, perhaps that would be the greatest fool. The toil of a fool, this is verse 15. The toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. And that's, what does that mean? I mean, that seems weird. Uh, sometimes it's very complicated to get to cities today. But back in the ancient world, there was one road to a city. And so what he's saying is the fool the fool. Um, doesn't even know how to do the simplest things. Not can't go down one lane to the to the city, right? Fool. Um, so wearies himself that gets the simplest things wrong. Woe to you! And then it switches again back to considering um, those in power. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad, which I would say is a lack of wisdom. It's a, per, it's a young man who lacks wisdom, right? Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning. Now, um, feasting in the morning, right? Breakfast is supposed to be light, right? You don't want to, what? Biscuits and gravy? Bacon? Yeah, but... Breakfast, well, okay, I'm in the South. <laughs> it's the most important meal of the day. Right? Um, it's the one I skip. <clears throat> Sorry, so yeah, I'm the fool here. Um, no, I, but, but feasting in the morning, right? Feasting is when all the delicacies come out. That's when the beer and the wine start flowing. That's, to do that in the morning is very, you know, out of, out of time. You do that in the evening. You do that at night. You do that um, after five o'clock or whatever it is, right? It's five o'clock somewhere, right? <laughs> Okay, oatmeal. There's a celebration to eat, and if you celebrate a breakfast, what in the world have you done that day other than just get it out of the way? In other words, you can it's true. work all day long. It's decadent. And yeah. you have, you know, a nice big meal because you work hard all day. Yeah. There's no, you, you haven't worked and built up your appetite, but they're living for their appetite, right? It, you don't even have an appetite, but you're living for your appetite uh, because you haven't gone to work. And so what, what a terrible predicament for a country 
when those in power are those that live according to their appetites, right, and not according to wisdom. And blessed, I got to I got to keep going because I have zero minutes and four verses. Blessed, blessed are you, a land whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. See, there's the contrast. They, they eat for strength because they've wasted their strength and work, and then they eat for strength. Through indolence, the, safters, the rafters sag, and through slackness, the house leaks. Obvious habitual laziness leads to things breaking down. Okay? Men prepare a meal for enjoyment, and wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. It's one of my favorite verses. And that is undoubtedly true, that last phrase, C section of this. Um, undoubtedly true under the sun. Right? That is undoubtedly true. Money can get you out of any crime. Money can purchase you any power position. Right? We know this is true. Money is the answer to all kinds of things under the sun. Now, we also know that, you know, money is the root of all kinds. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? And it's very difficult for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? So we know all of that, but this is true as we observe things, and it's frustrating. It's very frustrating for, because the rich can fly under and over and in between the radar on everything, right? And um, this is an observation that's true. And then finally, furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king. And in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man, for a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make the matter known. Think about what this is saying. This is saying, not only should you not curse a king, but you shouldn't even do it when you're alone. You shouldn't even do it when you're alone, especially because your iPhone is listening to you. Right? And it's going to go through the tweet machine, the little bird, and it's going to go to the NSA. Right? Now where's my, my tinfoil hat? Right? I've gone full conspiracy theory this morning. It's a little weird. I think it's because the camera's off. I'm feeling a little... I don't know, I'm feeling a little wild. But think about this. We denounce, we bloviate, right? We denounce, we express our opinions. We are fools who talk all the time. And Solomon's saying here, be careful not to dishonor power and the king even when you're by yourself. Think about the kind of self-control that takes. I mean, let's, let's get self-controlled publicly first, and then let's try to control our thoughts, let's try to control our words, even alone or speaking with our wife, right? Let's try to get to that point. And because he says, even still, those, those things can become known and make your life very, very difficult, right? Composure, even when alone, composure. Right? God hears all of our words and God will judge us according to every one of the words that comes out of our mouths. Every, what, what is it word? Every, what is it in Ephesians? It says every idle word. 
okay? So that should be sobering. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge, the, the prodding that your word always does for us. We pray that we would study it and obey it and fear you as we live our lives under the sun. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.